Welcome to the New Vision Church podcast. New Vision Church is a diverse, Bible-teaching, Jesus-centered church in San Diego, California, and exists to transform people and their communities by replicating followers of the biblical Jesus. Thanks for joining us today. Now here's this week's sermon. God's word this morning for the disciple. God's word is key to drawing people to the faith. It's key to drawing people to faith. Uh, we've just, uh, we've been living in our house now for about 25 years just down the street here. And when we first saw our house, it was an old house. It was a beat up house. In fact, we, there was a, a mother and a daughter that used to live in that house. I remember walking into it and they had guacamole green paint inside, right? It was like pretty, like raggedy old, like carpet and, and uh, uh, I, they were smokers so you could smell the smoke. And so I wasn't too keen on that house. I was like, no way, man, this is bad. There's a lot of work that needs to be done here. And my wife says, no, no, you got to see beyond what you see. My wife was a visionary. You got to see beyond what's there. And so we ended up purchasing that house. And then when we got in there, I remember moving into the house and we just tore everything apart, man. I tore up the rugs. I, I, I repainted the walls. I, I, I took the smell, all the crazy smell, the smoke that was in that house and everything. And I redid it. So we re- rehab, basically rehab the house. That's exactly what God does when he comes to an old house and he makes it new. He comes into this old house by faith and he comes and dwells in it and he begins to trick it out. He begins to take out the old and begins to make it new. He he begins to change everything by the power of his Holy Spirit. He begins to replace things and take things. But yet some of you battle that process. No, that's my famous, famous chair that your wife's been trying to get you to get rid of, but you want to hold on to. That, that, that lazy boy or that couch that's raggedy, right? And you hold on to it. When God wants to give you something new, but you seem to want to hold on to something old, but God says, no, my process is important to clean up the house. What begins to happen here is you're going to see that God's word begins to stir the lives of these Jews and they come in. These Jews are going to be completed Jews here in a moment because it says this, then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him. What was, what's going on in John chapter? Let's give you some context here. Jesus has come on the scene. He's on his way to, to Jerusalem. And guess what? He's beginning to, to preach the gospel. And they're questioning his authority. They're questioning his, his words. But he shares the truth with them. He presents the truth with them. Who he is and what he's going to do. And it says, when you lifted up the son of man then you will know that I am he. He tells that to the judges. He's proclaiming the gospel. He's referencing his crucifixion. And the scripture testifies this in verse 30. It says that many believed in him. The many here were the Jews. They became messianic Jews. They begin to call upon Jesus and they believe in Jesus. So the first thing I want you to understand is is this, that faith is the starting line of discipleship. Faith is the starting line. That's That's the beginning line that we see this morning. Discipleship starts with a a commitment with Christ. For the Jews to make this commitment, a Jew at this time, was no easy task. It was a cost for them. Some Jews would even be ousted out of their families. They would even be considered dead in their family. And, And Jesus knew the cost of their decision. And so right away, he jumps on and says, listen, I know you're considering who I am. I know you believe who I am. But let me tell you something. Let me go a little deeper with you because I know I got to snatch you right now because I know there's a raven that wants to come and snatch up the word of truth out of you and take it away from you right away. We know the parable of the sower and the seed. 
And so I want you to understand what you need to follow me. I want you to understand the cost to make. And I want you to understand in order to be my follower, I want you to understand the importance of this word, the truth, that needs to be implemented in your life. And so he begins to give them some instructions about discipleship to those who made a commitment to this faith. You're here today because I'm hoping to give you some instructions about the word and the importance of the discipline in the word. Let's look at those who believe. What does it mean to believe? It says many believed. Jesus speaking to the Jews who believed. The word believe means to commit, the thing to be true, to be persuaded of or place confidence. That's exactly what these Jews had did. And so he's beginning to pour into them as I'm hoping to pour into you this morning. As you're here because somewhere down the line, you said yes to Jesus. So somewhere down the line, you might have made the walk down to the altar or asked God in, in your own bedroom or maybe it was in your own, wherever it is, you said, yes, I want to be a follower. And so now, what's that next step? What's that discipline here? I want you to understand that this commitment you made is this. Faith is a supernatural transaction. It's a supernatural transaction, right? It moves you from the kingdom of darkness to the, to the kingdom of light. It moves you into God's family, that you've been adopted into his family. That's why I said this morning that you are family. You're part of our community, our family, and we want to include you in, in the family business. You're part of God's family. And so your belief and you put in yourself in Christ activates God's grace, and it activates his atonement for the penalty of sin that his blood shed on the cross covers the multitude of sin. It covers your mistakes. It, it covers your vices. It, it covers that when you come to him by faith. And I know there's a process to this faith walk. I call it curious, convinced, and committed. Some of you come, and maybe you're even here today, you're curious about what it means to follow Jesus or who this Jesus is. Some of you, you're, you people have ministered to or witnessed throughout the years, and you were curious by the words, even by the words that you said this morning, MO2, that millennial, you struck him and it afflicted him. You know what? Sometimes the spirit will afflict us to stir us. He'll put things in your life to, to move you. And so maybe here you're just checking it out. Maybe you're online, you're just watching. And maybe as you listen, maybe you're convinced about who Jesus is. Okay, I understand who he is. And, and then you, when you... When you just believe, and some of you come to believe in Jesus, but this morning, I'm not just asking you to come to believe. I'm asking you to come to commit. Because even the devil believes, and he's not going to heaven. See, there's, there's belief in God and a commitment to God. And two, they're, they're different. They're very different. Because we know that the gospel of, the gospel of Christ has power. That's the power for those who believe. That's why we call it good news. And we know that faith comes by hearing his word. Jesus proclaiming about the truth and the Jews heard the word and faith was moved in them. It was activated in them. We know the importance of the word to, to go out and, and touch the heart of people. You have been born again this morning by the living and enduring word of God. That's touched you somewhere down the line. What is this gospel that we talk about? I know, we've, I know that we've heard say, well, the gospel is that he came and then he died and then he was buried and he rose again and he's coming back. We know that in, 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 in theology. We know that in knowledge. Let, let me make it a little simpler because I want you to understand this process 
that first of all, I want to understand that you're special. Why are you special? Because you got to go all the way back to Genesis chapter one, when he created man and he created woman. And after his creation, he said it was very good. That you're created in the image of God and in the likeness of God in Genesis chapter one. But we know by the time you get to Genesis chapter three, sin entered in, right? You were special, but the sin entered in, a, a rebellion entered in. We call that the fall. Adam and Eve sinned against God. When God gave them a command, he gave them a word to follow, and they didn't obey that word, and then sin entered. And then we know that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23, we see that. But then God provides a way out. We call it salvation. We call it salvation. We call it redemption, right? He made a way for us to get back to him, to get back in relationship with him. But of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us the wisdom for God, righteousness, that's purity, sanctification, that's holiness, and redemption. We see that taking place. God made a way for all of us to be in right relationship. But after that, guess what? There's submission and sanctification process, right? We call that renewal. And I want you to catch this for a moment. It says in 2 Corinthians 4, 16, it says, do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. That is the abiding in Christ. We're going to talk about that in a moment. The abiding in Christ. Guys, when now that you're walking with God, God is doing a great work, and he's, he's begun a great work, and he's been faithful to complete it. Some of you get frustrated and you get mad. Why am, I, why am I doing what I'm doing? Or why am I can't be walking with God? And there's a frustration that takes place. But my challenge to you is don't get frustrated. Praise God because God's doing a work in you. You don't even know what he's doing. Don't look at it as a negative. Look at it as a positive. Say, God, I know there's something in here that I'm going through that you want to change in me. You know, when eagles are born, they're, they live there when they're babies they come in an egg and, and baby eagles they have to crack that egg and the reason they have to crack that egg for hours they're chipping at that that shell they're chipping at that shell and the purpose because the egg the e i mean the eagle's head is so big it needs to strengthen the neck and if we we're to come and break that egg from that eagle and his ne neck is not strengthened guess what happens his head will go like this and he will literally suffocate himself he needs, he needs, the, he needs the, the tension. He needs the difficulty. He needs the hardship in order to strengthen him to give him life. Sometimes God will allow these things in our life in order to strengthen us to be more like him. And so that, that renewal process in there, God's doing a work. And so sometimes we feel like, oh, when we're redeemed and then we got to be right and perfect and God's saying, no, I'm perfecting you. That's the sanctification. Just submit to what the work that I'm doing in your life. Then it leads to, leads to sanctuary or what we call restoration, which is heaven, his glory for kids. Our, our salvation, the gospel, is complete when we're with him in heaven. Called our glorification. We're in his sanctuary and we worship him in his presence. The God of all grace who called us to his internal glory by Christ Jesus after you have suffered while perfect, established strength and settles you. We have an eternal glory. I think John, the author of the Gospel of John said this, and I love what he says. But as many as received him, to them he gave him the right to become the children of God, to blow those who believe on his name. 
you believe and you receive and you become a child of God. And then God begins to do a work. And so the first thing you see is the power of the, of, of, of the work is that it's, 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 it's drawing people to him. That's, that's the starting line. Okay? Here's the second thing this morning. God's word is key to building the faith. It's key to building the faith. John 8, 31, second part. If you abide in my word, you are my disciple indeed. If you abide in my word, you are my disciple indeed. In Matthew 15, we read a story about a Syrophician woman. She was a Gentile woman, not a Jewish woman. And Jesus is there, and she's coming to Jesus, pleading to Jesus that he would heal his daughter who's demon-possessed. And she's crying to him, and she, this is a woman that's a Gentile, not a Jew. You know that Gentiles and Jews, they didn't get along. And, and Jesus is basically, hey, you know that you know, I, I'm here for the Jews, he says, basically. Right? And she's consistently pleading him. And then Jesus finally said this, it's not good to take the children's bread, talking about Israel, children's bread, and throw it to the little dogs. He, in that culture, the Gentiles were considered dogs. They were outcasts. And the woman replied by saying this, yes, Lord, but even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from the master's table. You know what, you know what she's saying? She's saying that the crumbs off of Jesus' table, his word, is enough to even touch this little dog, this woman. And Jesus says this to the woman. He says, oh, woman, great is your faith. Let it be as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Just, just a little bit of God's manna, just a little bit of God's word is enough to sustain us. Jesus was being tempted in the garden, but he knew he needed the bread from heaven. That was his sustenance. Job said this, I have not departed from the commandments of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my portion of food. Mm. So this, guys, a disciple is committed to the abiding, to abiding in God's word. He's committed to abiding in God's word. That's a requirement of discipleship. Notice the word if at the beginning, if you abide. Implying that there might be some who didn't abide in his word. There are a lot of people today that come to church that don't abide in his word, right? In fact, the word disciple means student, but it's also rooted in the word for discipline. We're called to be disciplined disciples, and Jesus is looking for some disciplined followers. We're challenged to be di disciplined in the word. So think about this. Paul is writing to the Corinthian church, and he rebukes them for their undiscipline. In fact, in Corinthians 3, 12, 1, 3, 1, and 2, it says, And I, brethren... Could I speak to you as spiritual people, as mature people, but as carnal, as babes in Christ? I fed you milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. Even now you are still not able. What Paul was describing here, oftentimes he would describe the milk of the work, the milk of the word. It was a reference to those who were babes in Christ, new in Christ. And, and they would give, I, I, I got to give you the milk of the word. But he says, Corinthian church, you've been around a long time, but you're still babies. And I still got to feed you like I got to feed a baby milk. When by this time you should be eating meat. For those that have little babies, right? You don't give your baby a sirloin steak for dinner. You give them a bottle of milk or you nurse them. And they grow into that. 
But what Paul's implying visually is a picture that you guys are still acting like babies because you haven't abided in, in the word. And so when it came to things in your life, you didn't know how to handle it because you weren't mature enough. Because being in the word matures us in the faith. It gives us wisdom. It gives us insight. It gives us direction. It answers our prayers. So what does it mean to abide in his word? In fact, the word abide means to remain, to continue in, to rest in, to stay in, right? In fact, 2 John 1.9 says this, Anyone who wanders away from this teaching, from his word, has no relationship with God. But anyone who remains or abides in the teachings of Christ has a relationship with the Father and the Son. Our abiding in his word, our abiding in him, means means that we're building an intimate relationship with God. The abiding in the word keeps us from drifting from the Lord. Hebrews 2.1, if you want to look it up. The word is the sustenance for spiritual life. And so we see this. A disciplined disciple sets intentional time to meet with God. Intentional. It's not haphazard. Oh, like whenever, right? Where and when will you set a time for God? Maybe you need to do that in your life. How are you intensely setting time with God? Okay. Are you bringing your Bible and your notepad, your journal, Right? These are the things that you bring to, to spend time because the Bible says the sheep hear my voice. And maybe God wants to speak, but you need to write it down. Maybe you listen and, and give him your ear. You've got to set a time. It might be in the morning. It might be in the evening. It might be in the afternoon. Joshua 1.8 says this. Study this book of instructions. What? Continually, ongoing. Meditate on day and night so you'll be sure to obey everything that's written in it. Only then will you prosper to seed. And all you do. Colossians 6.13 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Man, you need to get comfortable with God's word. You need to sit in God's word. You need to get used to God's word. You need to hunger. That's Hunger is, is a sign of a healthy disciple. Man, oh God, I, I, I'm looking forward to what you have to share with me this morning, Papa. Abba, Father. You got something special for me. And I'm coming to hear. God's looking for that intimate relationship, that fellowship with him through his word. So the question I ask is this then. How does a disciple abide in God's word? I want you to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3, 16 to 17. Keep moving over toward the book of Revelation. Go back a couple books, you'll find it. 2 Timothy chapter 3, 16 to 17. See, the scripture is referred to as a mirror. James says we reference it as a mirror. The, the word of God is like a, a mirror. Remember, though, many of you grew up watching Disney and the Disney movies. You remember the Snow White and the Wicked Witch? The Wicked Witch would stand before the mirror and recite, mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? And looking for a compliment, she was shocked to see Snow White. It revealed someone else. The purpose in the scriptures is to show you the fair one the just one. It's to reflect the picture of Jesus Christ for he is the hero of the Bible. He is the author of our faith. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, 60, 17, it says this, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is for profitable for doctrine and for reproof and for correction, for instruction and in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. 
first of all, here's some things that we're talking about. How do we abide? Number one, we need to believe God's word is true. We need to believe that God's word is true, right? God's word is inspired, means it's, it's breathed out by God. It, it came from God and it's without error. Some think that only part of this is true and the other part is not. How can one half be true, one half not be true? All of the Bible, the Old and the New Testament, is inspired by God, written and moved by the Holy Spirit that men pin this down. Read that in 2 Peter. That God moved and used author, right? The Bible is not a, the Bible is a book, of, the, the, the Bible is not a, a, a book, it's a library. The scripture is broken down in two sections. We have the Old Testament and the, and the New Testament. It's 66 authors, 66 books authored by 40 authors, carried along by the Holy Spirit that covers the span of about 1,500 years. It's historical, it's narrative, it's poetic and prophetic. That whole scriptures. In fact, God's word is active, it's alive, it's, it's, it has life to it. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the divisions of the soul and the spirit of the joints and marrows, and is discerner of the thoughts and intent of the heart. Many of you said to me, Pastor, I feel like you're just talking straight to me. That was the spirit working. I don't sit at home saying, oh, what's Bob going through today? Maybe I'll tackle this issue. Because the word of God is alive, it speaks. The Holy Spirit speaks, the Bible says in Acts chapter 13. And so God knows exactly what's going on in your life and in your heart. And because he knows exactly what's going on, he's going to speak to the issues of your heart and the things you're dealing with. That's the power of That's why it's active. It knows the heart. It's in Cerner. The Holy Spirit through the word of God is doing spiritual surgery on the heart. But we also need to believe that God's word is profitable. We only have to believe it's true. We got to believe it's profitable, that, that we profit from it in this word. The word profit means to, 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 for our benefit or for our advantage. We know you're hoping there's a, there's a profit in your investment. <laughs> for those that are in the banking world or business world, you're hoping that your investment's going to bring some profits. Our investment is going to bring some profit. You reap what you sow. You sow to the flesh, you reap of the flesh. You sow to the spirit, you reap of the spirits. That's the prophet line. It's the bottom line. But this word is worth more than rubies and gold. It's treasure. It's treasure, right? So here are four things that make God's word profitable. Four things, right? And it mentions it in this passage. Number one, it says doctrine. Profit for doctrine. All that word means, I know it's a Bible word, it just means teachings, okay? God's, that's teachings, it's profitable, right? It's the foundation of our faith. We, we, that's the foundation, that's the basic truths of God's word, of what he teaches, right? It's telling us what's true about God. It's telling us what's true about man. It's telling us what's true about the word and the world, I mean, the world we live in and the world to come. It reveals all that in his word. But how do we learn these things? How is this process of learning happening? Number one, by hearing. You're listening this morning because faith comes by hearing, right? One number one is, is hearing. Number two is reading, sitting down and reading the Bible. I know a lot of believers today, that's all they know is John 3, 16, and they saw it at a football game on TV. Okay? Listen. You have to read the scriptures from the older. And listen, I understand, man, when you read, when I first got saved, I knew, like, I didn't know anything, man. 
And I read that Bible. I was so confused. I didn't know terminologies. I didn't know anything like that, right? But you read it by faith, and it's like a puzzle. When you start a puzzle, you start with the outside first, right, for, for those that are puzzle doers, right? And then you slowly start filling in. You keep reading it, and then you'll slowly begin to see the picture of it because God will start to reveal that to you. You have to just read it. Read the whole Bible. Read it in a year. There's apps out there. You can read it in a year. Get familiar with it. Then you have to study it. Studying is a little deeper than just reading, right? Studying is for those that want to get known. Man, you, you, there's helps out there. There's things where you start breaking down. What does this word mean? And, and how does this apply? And what's the context to it? And why is Paul dressing these things? And, and start digging in a little bit, right? You want to find treasure. You got to dig a little, right? You got, you got to go deeper. So studying God's word and, 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 and getting into it and taking time. Memorizing God's word. Memorizing. Okay, let me memorize this verse because that's key to renewing of the mind. What are these verses? How can I memorize them? Oh, trust me, when you start reading God's word over and over, you're going to start, naturally, you're going to start memorizing verses. You're going to know addresses, meaning the, the verse and text and chapters. You're going to know where it is, where it's found. For those who are coming on Sunday night, I want you to come to Sunday night. We're having a study through the book of Philippians called The Fat Life, not F A T, but P H A T. That's ebonics for you guys. Okay? <laughs> And that's just an acronym for the book of Philippians. Passion, humility, acquisition, and transformation. That's the whole breakdown of the book of Philippians. See, what I did is when I studied, I came up with that thing because it helped me understand the context of that book and where I'm going, just memorizing it and saturating it because that's the renewing of the mind. And lastly, guys, meditating on his word. Taking a verse and just praying through it. We're going to talk about prayer next week. Praying through it and say, what are you saying in this verse? What are you, what are you, what are you, what are you trying to, what are you trying to, and then listening, guys, listen. We like to jab. We don't like to listen. We like to jib jab and talk, but we need to learn to listen because the sheep hear his voice and he'll start bringing revelation to that scripture to speak to you. We need to do that, right? We need to study to show ourselves approved, 2 Timothy 2.15. And we are to examine the scriptures like the Bereans who, just because Paul preached it, they didn't just always accept it. Guys, if you want to know the truth, we're going to talk about that. You got to know the truth. You got to know the truth, right? So doctrine, he says, first of all, study and do that. Second, reproof. What does that mean? It means to rebuke, means a stern warning. It's, it's reproving you from what you've done wrong. Maybe in your scripture, you're like, oh man, I, I didn't handle this very good this week. And by reading the word, it showed me that. It revealed to me. You know, it brings conviction or to come under conviction for wrong. Guys, there's a difference between condemnation and conviction. Condemnation wants to put judgment on you and punishment. Conviction wants to bring you to change. God's word just wants to convict you. Say, oh, man, I, uh, I, I didn't speak very well to my wife. Or, man, I really said something to my kids I shouldn't have said. And God's convicting you because you might have read it because a kind word turns away wrath. And so he begins to deal with your heart and the issues of the heart because out of the heart is the life spring of life, is the wellspring of life. And God's word, what is it? God's word, we begin to expose our own mess, our own sin, our own issues. And so it does. It so said, what do I need to stop doing? What are some things I need to change in my life? Then there's correction. He tells you to stop, but these will tell you where to go, right? Showing what to do is right. Right? That's correction. It's profit for correction. It's the process of correcting that's what is, which is wrong. It's, it's, uh, uh, it's beginning to give us a new, straighten things out. It's the detour of our lives. 
Like when we're going the wrong way and God says, go, no, go this way. It's a changing of our mind of how we see things. It's reconciling the wrong to keep us on track. To reconcile our relationships, our broken relationships, our fractured relationships. God wants to do that. That's part of what he teaches. And lastly, it says instruction in righteousness. It's guiding us how to live life as God intended. As God intended, right? The word gives a direction for right living. How to live righteously and in holiness. Because we're to be holy for I am holy. How to have integrity. How to have compassion. How to walk in love. Because God's word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path, the scripture says. But what's the goal in all this? Why do we have this, this process he takes us? What's the goal in it? Number one, to complete you. To complete you. He says you'll be complete. That word translates to be to be made perfect or fully matured or full of age. There's an aging process. I know we don't like that. So I got more gray, gray hairs over the years, right? But the, the gray hairs is a sign, supposed to be a sign of wisdom. The gray hair is a sign of a blessing, the scriptures. It's always in a positive, not in a negative. You know, I know that some of you, you know, oh, viejo, oh man, you know what I mean? <laughs> but you know what, guys? Thank God for the gray hairs. You've learned some things or you've gone through some things. You have some wisdom. In that, but in, in, in the same thing spiritually, we're, we're to get mature in the, in the faith, right? There's an aging process. It's a sign of wisdom, this, this growth and aging. If you think about 1 Corinthians chapter 13, you should all know that chapter because it's the love chapter. You hear it every time at weddings, right? What love is and defining love, and they read it all the time. But if you continue on down in the same chapter, it ends with these verses. It says, when I was a child, I spoke as, and thought and reasoned as a child, but when I grew up, I put away childish things. That's the process. But not, number, number one, it completes you, but number two, it equips you. It completes you and it equips you, right? The word equip can be translated to be translate fully furnished. You ever rent a house that was fully furnished? Everything you need, you rent it as is, right? Right, fully furnished. God is saying your time with me in my words will fully equip you for all that you face. God wants to equip you to face life issues as you go out these doors. How do you work in your, in, in your job? How do you manage your family? How do you manage your business? How do you serve in the community? He, he'll fully equip you how to navigate through that process. How to treat people well. He'll give you the tools you need. Peter writing to those, he says, writing to those oppressed of faith, he says, by his divine power, God has given you everything we need to live a godly life. We have received all of this by the coming to know him, by his word. But lastly, guys, as we close, third thing, God's word is key to be grounded in the truth. God's word is key. Going back to John chapter 8, look at verse 32. It says this, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. If you abide in my word, and my disciples abide in my word, you'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. You know, when people take a photo of themselves and they don't like it, what do they say? Oh, man, I'm not very photogenic. Right, you ever heard that? I'm not very photogenic, right? Listen, the picture don't lie. It only, pre it only presents what it sees, okay? Some people just can't handle the truth, Right? Truth is truth. You can't run from the truth. You can't hide from the truth. And you cannot suppress the truth. 
And here, we begin to understand what truth really is. The word will reveal the truth. First of all, God's word is truth. Psalm 119, 142. There are absolutes in the scriptures. There are some things that are just black and white in the scriptures, right? We live in a relativistic world that denies absolute truth. What is true for you may not be true for me, people say. And what it, why did they say that? Because more relied on experience, feelings, and desire to define and redefine truth. And so people are trying to redefine truth. And that we've created a mess. Proverbs 14, 12 says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end is the way of death. If scriptures and Proverbs says, be careful that you don't change the landmarks which my fathers, my grandfathers have set. There are still some things that are meant to be true and we hold them to be true. We can't change them. We think we're smarter than God. We're not. God's word is truth. And we're called to live by the truth of this word. And if you love me, you obey my truths or my commands. And we cannot deny these truths. But also, the truth is a person. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The Holy Spirit is known as the spirit of truth. That's the third person of the Trinity. And so we're to know the truth intimately and personally, for this is eternal life, to know God, the, to know God, the only true God, Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That is truth. He is truth. Jesus is the truth, and many have rejected the truth, and because they reject him, they reject his ways. But what does this truth do? It sets you free. It sets you free. Freedom comes by Christ and his word. We know who Christ is. He delivers us what? He delivers us from sin and death. That's the truth. He covers our mistakes. He covers our mess by the blood of the lamb, right? Jesus speaking to the Jews in John chapter 8, verse 24 says this, Therefore I say to you that you will die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. He's speaking truth. Some people don't like to hear that, but that's still the truth. The Bible says that I'm called to speak the truth in love. Some of you as parents speak things to your kids because you love them, but they're hard things. You've got to speak the truth to them because you're protecting them. You're, you're guarding them. But why? Because the truth reveals our nature and the necessary, state, necessary face steps that we need to take to overcome that. Guys, our nature is to do things contrary to the truth. <laughs> our nature is to, to blind us from the truth. The God of this age has blinded us from the truth of the gospel, it says in 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. And so what does that do? See, the freedom from bondage of this world is what we're set free from. Isaiah 61, 61.1 is a prophecy about Christ 700 years before Christ came on the scene, talking about the Messiah that was coming. Look what it says there. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty of the captives, and opening up the prisons of those who are bound. That was the mission of Christ, right? And so freedom comes in our obedience to his commands. Psalm 119, 9 through 11 says this, how can a young man cleanse his ways? By taking heed according to your word. With my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. 
your word I've hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. You know what the word does? Christ's word breaks us from idols. That sounds like an interesting idea or concept. Idols in your life. Because the things you worship is an idol. The things, and an idol, we can worship and it becomes our master and has power over us, right? An idol is anything we put before God. An idol is your master and it can enslave you. And we need to begin to remove some idols out of our lives to be set free. In 1 Samuel chapter 5, you might know the story. The Philistines had just captured the Ark of the Covenant. And they take the Ark. And come on, you Raiders of the Lost Ark people, you know? Remember that movie, the Covenant, the Ark of the Covenant, the, the mercy seat, the angels, as we believe the kind of glory dwelt, and they put the holies of holies in the temple. Well, the Philistines, the enemies of God got it, and they put it in the temple of Dagon. Dagon was a pagan god, the fish god. And they put the Ark in there, and they came back, and the next morning they came back, and Dagon, the statue, was on his face toward, toward the Ark. They're like, oh, so they came in and they lifted back up the statue. You know, they had, to, they had to help their God because he has eyes that can't see, a mouth that can't speak, hands that can't touch. They lifted him back up. The next morning they come and the statue is broken from the neck, head busted off, the arms busted off before the Ark of the Covenant. They're like, we got to get rid of this Ark. See how the world is? We got to get rid of the presence of God, but we're going to keep our pagan idols. And that's how the world responds. We got to get rid of God. Oh, God's not good. When Jesus did many miracles in, in, the, in the Gadarenes, they said, let's get rid of Jesus after he healed the demon-possessed man, after he changed the community, changed the lives of people. Oh, no, we got to get Jesus out, but we'll keep our demon-possessed people because that's what we know to be norm. So they gave the, they gave the Ark of the Covenant back to God's people. But why was it so significant? Because in the, the Ark of the Covenant was a representation of the presence of Christ. And inside the Ark of the Covenant was God's word. The presence of God's word. Guys, the only way your idols are going to be broken, the only way you're going to get free is by the presence of God and his word in your life. That's going to break your idols. Your idols of pride and addictions and anger and arrogance. And you put the list goes on and on and on. We need to confess these idols to Christ. 1 John 1, 9 gives us a promise. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Then we take joy in the work of Christ through the promises of his word. That's where freedom comes. That's where freedom, that's where we're set free in the promises of his word. So let me remind you of these three things, guys, as we talk about a disciple in the word. God's word is key to drawing people to faith. It's the power to draw people to faith. We need to use this word. You play, we're going to talk about that later in the series. God's word is key to building the faith, building our own faith, our own intimacy with God, our own relationship and fellowship with God. Lastly, God's word is a key to be grounded in the truth. Even the dog says amen. Because the Bible says all creation will speak of me. God's word is key to grounding us in the truth. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as the worship team comes, Lord, we thank you and we praise you and we honor you, Lord. Because your word is transformational. Father, we need to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Lord, we need to seek ye first the kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto us, you say in Matthew 6.33. Father, as a deer panted for the water, so my soul longest after thee. Father, you said there was going to be a famine coming. Not a famine of bread, but of the word of God through the prophet Amos. 
Father, may we bring revival through the reading of our own, revival in our own lives through the reading of your word. May the parchedness of our life, may the dryness of our lives be refreshed by the watering of your word in our heart because your word in John 17 said, what sanctify them with the truth for your word is truth. Lord, I pray right now for your people, Lord. May they be like little Josiah the king who found your word and commanded and brought and read it to all the people, Lord, that they may be refreshed. And you said when the Jews came to faith in Acts, Lord, there will be a time of refreshing. And that time of refreshing came by the pouring out of the watering of the word on the hearts. And I pray now that you would water your people with the freshness of your word. And Father, you will grow them in your word and you will ground them in your word. May they'll be strengthened by your word and you will lead them by your word. We thank you and we praise you and we honor you in Jesus' name. Thanks again for joining us. Contact us or learn more at our website, newvision.city. See you next time.